Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post Podcast. Here with Michael Trakos, uh, Post Media National Hockey Writer. He is live from Newmarket. Uh, he's on the disabled list with a herniated disc or, or, or some sort of back problem. Mike, how's it going considering the circumstances? Yeah, I think uh, my, my season's over. This is when the... You hear about players uh, after their playoffs, like just <laughs> heard about Wayne Simmons dealing with like lacerated spleens and whatnot, and it seems like the laundry list of excuses uh, start coming out. But yeah, I'm amongst the, the the hobbled here. I've been playing with the bad back all season, so <laughs> put, put me down on that category. Well, I greatly appreciate you uh, joining the show, and um, obviously you are. Um, a regular and off the post, a co-host at times. So uh, we wish you the best, and also we wish you happy birthday. I'm pretty sure it's your birthday today. It is, yeah. Doing this on my birthday, so thanks, John. Appreciate <laughs> it. Just adding to your workload. Um, yeah, that's right. So uh, we are recording this on Thursday. Um, the NHL playoffs are transitioning to the second round. By the time a lot of people hear this, it might have already started because that's just the way the NHL decided to schedule this. Um, but we're going to wrap up the first round and then we're going to look ahead to the four series and, and try to get a grasp on on where things are at with, with the NHL postseason. Um, I thought the first round was decent, not great by any means. Uh the, the, the series didn't go long enough. There wasn't enough, uh, you know, overtime action. That's sort of what you what you crave, you know, as crazy as it is to stay up till 3 in the morning and how you regret it the next day. It's it's cool to have a couple of those games uh, per per round, and, and there were none of those in uh, in round one. There were a couple overtime games, but they were over fairly quickly. Um, well, but but at the end of the day, uh, we go to the second round having four great great matchups. So it sort of works out uh, the way that I think the NHL wants it to work out, where the second round is where um, a lot of the powerhouses are, are going to face off. Um, how did you see the first round uh, develop from from your perspective? Yeah, it was a strange one, John. I wrote about this uh, the other day where it, it it felt lackluster. It felt like it was lacking in drama, lacking in intensity, and maybe lacking in sort of intrigue and surprise. Like, there were no upsets. Uh, the only upset there was was San Jose beating Anaheim. And I don't even know if you call that an upset because San Jose finished with 100 points and Anaheim finished with 101 points. So they were fairly even teams. And, you know, maybe the two sweeps kind of took away from any sort of drama as well. Um, aside from that Columbus-Washington series, there weren't a whole lot of overtime games. 
Um, and really, I think the, the best game um, of the entire playoffs was that Game 7 uh, with Toronto and Boston, and yet that was the only series that went the distance. So, you know, the good news is um, you've got the best teams did advance out of the first round, so you should get some intriguing matchups, and I'm really intrigued by Washington-Pittsburgh or um, Nashville-Winnipeg, and even even Vegas-San Jose. Like, there's a lot of there should be a lot of great hockey to be played in that second round, and hopefully everyone's still healthy and has a lot left in the tank because, uh, like I said, uh, we did get the best teams advanced. I think it's the first time where every team in the second round finished with a uh, hundred or more points, which is something to be said uh, when you consider that in past years we've seen Nashville um, reach the final as the 16th seed and uh, LA get there as the worst, uh, I guess, the lowest seed in the Western Conference. So um, maybe they're saving the best for the second round. Yeah, let, we'll get to we'll start off with Preds Jets in, in a minute here, but first, uh, sort of a, a eulogy about about the Maple Leafs because you know we we were both around the team enough to to have uh, some sort of thoughts on, on them going out in seven games. Uh, from my perspective, uh, the focus right now is a lot on Jake Gardner. It's a lot on Freddie Anderson. Um, but if you look at it in, in a big picture um, sort of scope, I, I think this is basically what, what a lot of people expect. This is what I expected to happen in this series was it, it would go seven games and Boston would win. If we take away the way that things uh, collapsed for them in the third period of game seven, I mean, if Austin Matthews scores a, a goal or two uh, throughout the series, maybe that shifts things. Uh, if, if Freddie Anderson doesn't make those ridiculous paddle saves, maybe this, season, this, this series is over in five games instead of seven. Um, I just thought that coming into the series, uh, the Maple Leafs were a very flawed team. Uh, and and the, the, the way that they are able to kind of counteract the fact that they're so flawed, and, and by flawed I mostly mean by their defense being too weak to compete for a championship – um, especially the right side. Um, the way that they combat that is to have so many game breakers up front that they can get outplayed, um, outshot, out you know scoring chanced uh, for for a whole series and still go to seven games. Um, you know you look at guys like Patrick Marlowe or even even Kasperi Kapanen. There's a lot of players on that forward group that on a dime can put the puck in the net and that sort of saves their bacon a lot. Uh, I think I think the way that they're constructed right now. Uh, there shouldn't be too much expected from them in regards to making it far in the playoffs because I, as much as I'm a huge fan of, of Frederick Anderson, I think that he's bordering on a top 10 goalie somewhere in there, and, and this season was, was his best of his career. He's still not, you know, Marty Brodeur or, or, or Dominic Hasek. He can't bail out a team uh, that has subpar defensive play. So I, I, I think there's so much positivity to take out of uh, the Maple Leafs season and the steps that they took. Um, and hopefully, you know, uh, it must be the same on your your Twitter timeline. People are just going crazy right now over over what had happened uh, in Game Seven, and and you know, placing blame here and saying you know Jake Gardner needs to be run out of town, and all this all this sort of uh, knee jerk reaction uh, commentary, which which is okay because the, the game just ended. I get it. There's a lot of emotions, but uh, you know, a week from now, I think you look back on the Leafs season if you're uh, you know looking at it objectively, or if you're a Leafs fan, you gotta be pretty happy because. You took probably, um, you know, a top three, four team in the NHL to seven games and uh, against, you know, literally like the best line in hockey, hands down. Uh, I think that's a pretty big accomplishment. What, what do you what do you think of the Leafs and the way that the, the series went with Boston? Yeah, I sort of agree with most of what you said there. Um, 
like you mentioned, this was a flawed team throughout the season, despite what they were doing in terms of uh, franchise records and wins and points. Uh, we could all see that they a lot of times had to score their way out of trouble or they relied too much on Frederick Anderson to stand on his head. Um, just looking at the stats, um, the Leafs allowed the fourth most shots against in the NHL during the regular season, and that only got worse in the playoffs where they allowed 35 shots against uh, versus Boston. So um, obviously the Bruins knew that. They just had to control puck possession and um, really kind of wear down that defense. And you know, I kind of feel for Jake Gardner. Um, he's got his flaws. He's not a perfect defenseman. And yet um, when you're looking at that Toronto Maple Leafs defense, um, in a lot of cases Mike Babcock didn't have a whole lot of other options. Um, and he kept turning to Jake. Uh, where I think Gardner last night uh, played 24 minutes uh, second only to uh, Ron Hainsey. So um, when you're relying on a defenseman who's got his warts uh, for that much uh, ice time and you keep putting him out there, uh, well, bad things are going to happen. Um, and we saw that time and time again. So, um, you know, it, it, don't point your finger at Jake Gardner. Maybe point your finger at Lou Lamorello, who at the trade deadline, uh, whether or not he decided not to get a defenseman or just failed to pull the trigger. Um, but that was the pressing need, and we all saw it. They didn't need a Thomas Placanics on the fourth line to uh, be their center. What they needed was an upgrade on either Gardner or Zaitsev or uh, just a little bit more depth back there where Mike Babcock had some options. Um, and I think that's the pressing need as you go into the offseason. This is maybe going to be one of the most important offseasons that Lou Lamorello has kind of overseen in Toronto where you've got, obviously, you're overflowing with uh, depth at forward, um, now it's about turning some of those players into uh, top pairing or even top four defensemen. So do you maybe pull the trigger on a William Newlander trade or a Kasperi Kapanen or a Connor Brown? I don't think you're touching Matthews. I don't think you're touching Marner. But um, there's a lot of options up there up front where you just have to make some pieces fit. And what you don't want is a similar situation to what Edmonton did and give up a guy like Taylor Hall and um, have it kind of blow up in your face. You sort of want to do what Nashville and Columbus were able to do, where you took a Ryan Johansson and you flipped him for a Seth Jones, and both teams kind of walked away happy. So it's going to be a challenge, but you know what? The Leafs have the depth up front to make it happen, and uh, whether it's through trade or free agency, they, they desperately need that top-end defenseman. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there where it's – I mean, internally, they have uh, Travis Dermott coming through the system, and he looks like a top four guy, or, or to, you know, soon to be top four guy. Um, they're left and they side. And Timothy Lilligan yeah. is going to be coming up, and uh, Andrew Nielsen as well. But you still need that veteran guy, don't you, John? Like, whether no. it's a Chris Tanev or yeah. someone like that. Yeah, I just think that there's a, a gaping hole on their right side for, for just someone solid, someone dependable, someone that. You know, you don't have to worry about it. And I thought Zaitsev might have blossomed into that or at least been close to being that guy. Uh, but he, he sort of took a step back this season. I don't really know what happened there. But the, just going from his rookie season to this season, uh, the sort of the temperature around him, it, it, got, a lot of, it got, got a lot colder in, in my opinion. So now they're stuck with that, that giant contract that he has. Um, and then, you know, Hainsey's fine, but he's, he's just going to get older and slower. And then Roman Polak as you're, as you're th- on your third pair. Like, that's, that's just not going to work. And, and this was a season where you can sort of see what happens uh, in that situation. But I think moving forward, you don't want to waste what, what you have with your goalie, uh, your, the left side of your defense, and that incredible forward group. Like, you don't want to waste that just because you have this, this 
glaring need on your right side of defense, which is um, if you stack it up across the league, I mean, it's probably a bottom five uh, right right-handed defense group. Like it's it's really dire. Um, let, let's let's not focus on the Leafs too much. Uh, let, let's go to the the Predators and the Jets. I'm going to leave uh, it to you right off the bat. What's your read on this series? Oh, it's going to be a fun one. Um, we saw when they played at the end of the regular season, it was possibly the game of the year. Um, back and forth, lead changes, and really right up until the final buzzer. And I think you know both teams stack up so well against each other. Um, the goaltenders are basically a saw-off. Um, uh, the forward depth is just outstanding on both, en- both ends. I would give the edge on defense to Nashville, but that being said, um, it's going to be one of those ones where I think if you're trying to predict how it ends, um, you're probably saying game seven and double overtime. Um, just both teams are just firing on all cylinders. And, you know, I, I think here's the question I have to you, John, uh, with now Toronto being out of the playoffs and no other Canadian team really making it into the playoffs, does Winnipeg sort of become Canada's team? And I've heard that sort of floated about. And, you know, I, I kind of get the feeling in my mind that, uh, they might be one of those teams that, even if you're from Montreal or Vancouver, um, Winnipeg is one of those kind of cities that it's hard not to root for them. Um, they do get crapped on a lot with the weather and just sort of being in the middle of nowhere. And I wonder with that team, just how exciting and talented they are and the fact that the Jets are back in Winnipeg, um, if they sort of become that sentimental favorite for the rest of the country to pull behind. I, I'd say yes and no. I think that there will be some sort of bandwagon created and a lot of people jumping on it but i find it hard to to grasp you know canada's team i don't know unless you're the toronto raptors toronto blue jays where there's literally one team in the country i feel like a lot of people tune out uh the sport or or the league when when their team isn't playing and, it, and it's nothing against the winnipeg jets i just think that the whole canada's team thing is is a little overblown i think hardcore fans might go "Eh, it'd be nice to have you know a canadian team to win but i think the casual fans just go oh the leafs are out okay like you know people in toronto the leafs are out uh okay see it see in the fall or or maybe they'll just watch the playoffs casually from there like i sort of i see where you're coming from at the same time i don't know if i think that might be just a manufactured thing um, yeah, like you know what like I mean. Like, it's sort of you care if the drought ends. <laughs> yeah, like I don't like it, it, from my perspective. Like uh, you know, it'd be a great story to see the Jets go all the way. Like I, I don't think that's a hot take. I think that uh, they're a very lovable team, and and you mentioned Winnipeg, the city, and and not always having uh, you know the country behind it in terms of reputation. Um, so that would be a great story, and I like a lot of their pieces. Um, so if they were to end the drought out of all teams in Canada right now, I think that'd be that'd be pretty great. Um, but at the same time, uh, if I'm just a fan of the Montreal Canadiens, for example, I don't know if it really matters them or, I don't know, the Nashville Predators or, or whoever else that they may be cheering for. Um, in this series, though, I, I think it's inarguable that this is going to go long. It would be completely shocking if it was four or five, even six games, I feel like, would be, unless they, you know, there's a lot of overtime, but I feel like this has Game 7 written all over it. And you, you sort of alluded to it where the forward group uh, in in Winnipeg is, is one of the best in the league. No, You know, there's no denying that. But I think that Nashville also has sort of an underrated group where um, they're not that far behind Winnipeg. Um, there's no glaring weak, weaknesses. And, and you see guys like Austin Watson um, and, and his line with Colton Sissons, like, they, they led the first series in scoring. And, and wh- do you ever expect that except for in the playoffs? They always seem to produce in the playoffs. And, you know, adding Kyle Turris earlier in the year, um, you know, Nick Bonino, they're 
compared to last year's Predators team, they're they're even better. Um, and I just think there's not a huge drop off there. And then defense, obviously, it's it's obvious. It's just so obvious that Nashville is the best defense, and that translates to offense too. It, it sort of jolts them because of you know Roman Yossi constantly joining the rush or or PK Subban getting on his horse and 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 uh, moving the puck up or 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 being the fourth guy in. Um, I, I mean, and then you go to goalies, and they're both Vesna finalists. So, but th- this series is hard to handicap. I would probably uh, give the edge to Nashville because uh, Winnipeg is dealing with some injuries. Matthew Perot uh, hasn't resumed skating. Uh, Kulikov hasn't resumed resumed skating. Um, there's a couple guys in non-contact jerseys. Uh, Ehlers is going to be coming back. It looks like so is Enstrom. Um, but again, they look a little more banged up than Nashville. Yeah, like you said, I think it's just going to be. Hopefully, this is going to be the one that we're talking about, uh, even at the end of the playoffs, saying this was the best series. And, you know, I, I think there's a quite a lot of possibilities uh, just around um, the second round, whether it's, I think, Pittsburgh, Washington has the other potential to be a real exciting uh, series just based on the history uh, between Sid and uh, Ovi. But also, <laughs> I'm kind of curious to see if Braden Holtby can kind of uh, take that step uh, after kind of replacing Philip Grubauer as the back in the number one spot. If, if he can kind of continue that and maybe slay some demons um, when it comes to the playoffs. Yeah, let's talk about uh, the Penguin series then. Uh, let's go to the Eastern Conference. Penguins Capitals uh, Chapter 1066. Uh, <laughs> it just seems to always happen this way. And you know what? I, I thought the Blue Jackets were going to beat the, the Capitals in round one. That was the one series I got wrong. I'm just going to brag right now. I got seven. Um, Good for you. Yeah, look at me. And it, it got off to uh, a healthy start for, for my betting um, when, when Columbus had the 2-0, the 2-0 uh, series lead. And then Holtby gets put in, which he, in my opinion should have been uh, the choice from game one. But for game three, Holtby uh, gets put on in, in between the pipes for, for Washington in game three. And it sort of turned the series around. Um, I wouldn't say single-handedly won that series by any means, but um, Washington is is just being Washington, right? You know, you saw Ovechkin score from his usual spot. You saw um, Kuznetsov contribute. Um, Orlov had a goal. Like, it was sort of just typical Washington Capitals uh, hockey. Uh, they're without a Barakovsky right now, who's, who's week to week. But um, on the injury front, the real... Um, X factor here is Evgeny Malkin is is going to miss Game One, and that that tilts the series a, a fair bit for me. Um, the Penguins losing uh, their number one two center or their number two center and uh, really a generational talent. Um, ha- have you thought about uh, how this might shake out? Yeah, the, losing Malkin's going to hurt, but geez, the way that Sid's playing right now, like him and Jake Gensel are just completely on fire. Like six goals apiece. 13 points apiece, and beyond that, like even when you take away the goals that they scored against Philly, and they're really uh, a bucket load of goals uh, against the Flyers, it's Matt Murray that's become um, Matt Murray of last year's playoffs and the playoffs before that. Like This is a guy that was real up and down during the regular season, and he dealt with the concussion, dealt with some personal tragedy with his father passing away, but uh, since the playoffs started, he's got two shutouts, and um, has just looked really uh, unbeatable. So, you know, if he keeps that up, it doesn't matter uh, what Ovi's kind of tossing out the net. Um, I think in a goalie duel, I'll take Matt Murray over Braden Holtby every day of the week. Um, so this is why 
Uh, the, the series could be memorable. Uh, it could be a classic. Or also, it could be a four-game sweep for the Penguins, with or without Malkin. Like, the Penguins look like they're locked and loaded. It looks like uh, whatever happened in the regular season, this is a team that just knows how to flick the switch and turn it on when it actually matters. So, you know, if I'm a betting man, I'm taking the Penguins in probably five or six, but I hope it does go the distance. And, you know, personally, I, I do hope that Ovechkin can kind of redeem himself. And uh, I don't know if he's going to win a cup, but at least go past the Penguins. Maybe that's a, a win in itself. Well, in Pittsburgh's first-round series against Philly was was a little bizarre, just uh, the scores. In the games that Pittsburgh won, 7 nothing, 5-1, 5 nothing, 8-5. And in that 8-5 game, the, the clincher there, Jake Gensel gets four goals in a row. And uh, He's mic'd up for that one, too. Oh, I know. I heard it. He was, it, was, it was a lot of wooing, I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> and I just – you're watching the series, and it's almost like uh, there's such an offensive rhythm to this team where, you know, a lot of east-west passes and – you know, Philly's always behind the puck. They're always skating back, trying to, to back check versus, um, you know, being with their man and being sort of at a fi- for 50 50 puck battles. It was always, they were always chasing. Um, and then, you know, I, I just, when, when, when Crosby is sort of playing peak Crosby, it's, it, it happens every year, I feel like. We, or at least the last couple of years, where we talk about McDavid and Crosby during the regular season and we go, you know what? I I think it's Mc, I think McDavid is the best player in the world, and then and then the playoffs come, and Sidney Crosby decides to, you know, get a natural hat trick in the opener, um, continue to to dominate throughout the series, and um, there's something. It's almost like it's almost like he like he he you know he just stores away all this energy for the playoffs, and and decides to turn it on. It's like he has a switch where. Um, you know, he, he can go up that extra gear. And I know that sounds so, like, cliche, but we see it year after year uh, with Crosby where he just knows uh, when to turn it on and, and when to turn it off. Um, as a side note, as Philly, you know, goes into their offseason, you mentioned Wayne Simmons and the type of injuries that he dealt with. Sean Couturier had an MCL tear um, heading into the final game and and still produced uh, admirably and, and was, a, you know, Philly's best player in that game. And also throughout the playoffs, and, and you can group the regular season with it too, He he's evolved into this elite center, this elite number one center where, you know, since he was drafted to, you know, maybe before this season, you're going, you know, Sean Couturier, good, you know, number two center that can play against the other team's top lines. And then that was sort of where you stopped talking. But now he's putting up goals. I believe he had 30-something goals in, in the regular season, and he was uh, the Flyers' best player in the playoffs. And um, he just sort of he, he just evolved into, into this new, um, this elite player. And, and I, it was just nice to see. He's, he's sort of a monster now. He's, <laughs> he, he's, he's so hard to handle. And, and now there's a bit of a, a legacy or, or you know, lore behind him that he played that final game with, with a torn uh, MCL, which – unfortunately happened uh during practice um any any lasting thoughts on on the flyers or or this this uh eastern conference series get a goaltender <laughs> like they need a goal yes. if they had if they had anyone um that they could trust back there this would have been a totally different series in my mind and you know carter hart i don't know if this is going to be a good thing that they've got him or i almost feel sorry for the kid um the world junior goaltender for canada um, because he's going into a, sc- a scenario there where it almost feels like they can't wait for him to come, and once he does come, 
he's going to have that savior tag labeled right on him. And uh, God forbid if he goes through any kind of stumbles because, you know, the, the Flyers fans are just, just really, like since what, Pelly Lindbergh, <laughs> uh, they haven't had a goaltender back there. So, um, you know, it, it just shows you like what the Leafs would be without Frederick Anderson or what Winnipeg would be without Connor Hellebuck. And, you know, if Flyers, if the Philadelphia Flyers had, uh, anything resembling a top 10 goaltender uh, back there, this might have been a team that you'd be thinking, okay, they've got championship contender written all over them because really their forward depth is outstanding. Uh, their defense uh, is young and really mobile and um, really impressive with Provorov and uh, Gosses Bear back there. And um, really the only like black hole is in net where they couldn't rely on Elliott, Nervers, or, or Mrazic. Um, to steal them any games or win them any games. So uh, it really is unfortunate. And when you mentioned Sean Couturier, I really like this guy's game. Uh, I think he's going to become that um, guy that we're talking about every single year for the Selkie and possibly even more uh, based on what he was able to do offensively this year. Speaking of uh, goaltending, and uh, you're talking about it with the Flyers in, in, a, in a bad light, but... The Golden Knights Shark series is going to be the battle of, of the goalies, at least if, if you believe in what happened during the first round where both Marc Andre Fleury and Martin Jones were lights out. Um, Golden Knights sweep uh, and then the Shark sweep. And, and they've been waiting around for literally like almost two weeks. Um, well, not, not that long, but 10 days or so. And it's. It's it's very odd, and it's 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 giving me uh, sort of a pause in terms of how to analyze this series because um, already Vegas is 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 very difficult to get a handle on. Like I'm, you know, slowly throughout the season gaining more and more confidence in them in terms of um, knowing what type of team they are and, and what to expect from them. But there's still there's still some mystery there, um, and the Sharks are, in my opinion exceeding expectations uh, based on what I thought they were maybe at the midway point of this season. Um, sort of nothing to, to, to write home about. Um, what, what do you think of this series? Because although they both swept and, and they're both in the Pacific, uh, it, it seems like this series um, is, is the, out of the four remaining ones, is, is the real toss-up. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, I, I think both Lurie and Martin Jones have been playing outstanding. The real difference maker uh, might be whether or not uh, Joe Thornton can kind of return the lineup uh, for San Jose. Um, the way that Evander Kane's going, you might say you don't really need any help uh, offensively, but to get a guy like Thornton back, I think might tip the the scales. And the other thing I'm kind of interested in seeing is uh, Vegas was able to win uh, all their games against uh, LA uh, in a fairly kind of tight checking, low scoring nature, and we didn't see a whole lot of out of William Carlson or Jonathan Marsha show or the offense that we saw all season. So uh, I'm kind of curious to see if a guy like Carlson can kind of break through um, and, and really kind of exert himself or um, really kind of show the offense that he's got um, in this series. And I wonder if it's going to turn into sort of a wide open series against San Jose or if this is Vegas's MO, if, if they're really trying to kind of uh, clog things up and keep it sort of, sort of boring and, tight checking and if that's the case maybe Gerard Gallant is onto something here because he knows he doesn't have the horses to kind of um, break it open uh, in a four or in a seven game series if I were a betting man I would think that based on the two playing styles of the teams that it would be it would be fast it would it would have some physical element to it um, 
and that it would just be scoring chance after scoring chance. But um, to your point about about sort of um, clamping down defensively, if you look at the heat maps that are on HockeyViz.com, it showed the LA Kings took like an inconsequential amount of shots from an, in front of Flurry. Like it was all from the outside, and I don't know if that was a you know, an objective of, of Gerard Gallant, and he told his team, hey, you know, we're going to clear the front of the net, and there's going to be nothing from there. It's all from the outside, and that was sort of, you know, priority number one, or if that's just how things went. But I thought that was an interesting development. Um, on the other side of the rink, uh, that's sort of how Marchessault, Riley Smith, and, and William Carlson operate. Is is That's why <laughs> William Carlson scored 43 goals is because, Margisil and and Smith would dig pucks out of the corner, or you know maybe do a, a quick U turn uh, when they when they gain the line and find him going to the net, uh, and he's got that quick release. So it, it, I, I'll be looking for for sort of where these teams decide to operate and, and mm. how they are going to attack. Is it gonna be off the rush? Is 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 there gonna be a clamping down as as um, as Vegas was able to do to an extent uh, against against the LA Kings? Um, and also, like, uh, the Brent, I, I just, I, I don't really have a, a huge, you know, uh, sort of statistical backing behind this, but I just feel like Brent Burns is 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 uh, is due for some sort of uh, big breakout here. Um, uh, you know, one goal on 15 shots uh, in the last series throughout the whole year. His shooting percentage was super low. I feel like there's there might be something bubbling there where you know he gets a couple bounces because he's always going to throw pucks on net. That's his thing. Um, so you wonder if that that works in into San Jose's favor uh, over presumably a long series here. Um, one last thought about Vegas. So I was thinking about it. I'm watching. I don't know what game it was, two or three. And you know, you you look at the way that they operate, and and a lot of people talk about their speed and and their quickness and and getting up the ice. Uh, you know, within seconds, it it always looks like their goalie is being is being pulled. It, it looks like Mark Andre Fleury isn't actually in the net because. There's sort of a five a five man unit always moving in unison uh, towards the other the other end and and there's a lot of good puck support and there's just an urgency there. If there's a loose puck, they're they're you know like a like a dog on a bone and that that's sort of what I landed on with Vegas and I don't know if that's going to change if, if if San Jose has some sort of uh, counter attack to that. But um, this Vegas team, as as things are going along, it, it, you know, those trends are popping up and that's one that I thought is that. It's almost like they're they're always so you know they're they're structured in a way, but at the same time, uh, Gallant gives them a freedom to go after any puck, and it could be three guys on, it could be two guys on it. Um, so, do you, do you have a prediction for this series, or are you calling it a toss up? Yeah, I think the the first two games are really going to define the series. Like we haven't seen Vegas really kind of pushed uh, dealing with any kind of adversity this season. Like it seems like the season's really gone and gone swimmingly for them. And, you know, their home record really speaks for itself. So if San Jose can steal one, maybe even two games on the road, uh, I think that's going to really send a, a strong message to, uh, A, obviously the Sharks, but I think it's also going to push the, the Golden Knights into a, a position where they just haven't been this season. So if we see Vegas kind of play from behind, I'm curious to see what that actually looks like because they have been sort of in control. And you mentioned this kind of sticking to their system and trusting that system. Well, um, when you, you can trust the system when you're winning, you can trust it when you're ahead. But when you're trailing in a series, I think that kind of really tests the metal of all the players. Yeah, that's a good point, and they have that incredible home record. So, um, if, if let's say San Jose takes the first two in Vegas, I mean, all bets are off, and and you never know, there could be a sweep 
possibility there because uh, Vegas just hasn't like you go through their schedule regular season and now playoffs and they've I don't I don't have it in front of me in terms of how many games they've lost in a row but they never went on a on a bad skid they were always fairly consistent they lose a game here they lose two here maybe three but there's never a big losing streak so I wonder if after no, two even games, when their goalie was right too. yeah even like when they're missing goalies they it, didn't really fall they never had to sort of yeah, and like I said, they never had to face adversity, it seems like, all year. Yeah, and how, uh, you know, that, that's some pretty substantial adversity if they go down 0-2 in the playoffs. Everything's magnified. So, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good point you make. Um, finally, the Lightning uh, and the Bruins, uh, I'll let you take uh, first reign on this one. Well, this is sort of, I, I think, uh, aside from Toronto uh, getting there, this is the one I really was interested to see because really the top two teams, for most of the season, uh, in, not just in the East, but in the entire NHL, I thought were Tampa Bay was arguably the best team in the first half, and Boston was arguably the best team in the second. So this should be a great matchup. Um, the thing I'm kind of wondering about is who's got the better goaltender now because Vasilevsky didn't look good in the second half, and yet, uh, I don't know about you, but I didn't think Rask looked uh, that good against the Leafs, especially as the series sort of dragged on. Uh, I think as the Toronto Maple Leafs won uh, in Game 7, Rask would have been um, really kind of wearing that loss uh, more than any other player on the team. So uh, it will be interesting to see if Vasilevsky can stop that number one line that Boston's got. And it'll be interesting to see if um, or, uh, to see if Rask can kind of hold his own against Stamkos, Kucherov and company. But um, this one should be a, a real good one. I wonder if it's going to be more skilled or if it's going to be a little bit more physical because... You know, Boston does have the players that can play a little bit of a rougher style, and I wonder if Tampa can kind of counter that. Yeah, from a goalie perspective, I think you're onto something here. There's a lot of inconsistency around Rask and and his first-round performance, and I know Vasilevsky did well uh, versus the Devils, but that second half, it's giving me, you know, a reason to sort of hum and haw around Vasilevsky and and how he might uh, perform in the second round. Um, and then I think I think injuries um, and rest are going to play in here. You know, Tampa's been sort of waiting around, probably healing a little bit. I don't think that should be forgotten about, especially when you watch the Boston Bruins. And Charlie McAvoy looked off for the last, like, two or three games of that series against the Leafs. And, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm totally spe- speculating because they're not going to come out and say he's injured right now. But it sure looks like there's something going on there where – uh, he just doesn't have that sort of, um, I don't know, that, that, that extra, you know, spunk to him or, or, you know, finishing ability. He's just sort of, you know, dumping, dumping pucks in when maybe he should carry it and stuff like that. Um, so that's something to look out I'll, for. I agree with that. I thought Tory Krug was their best defender in the first round, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and you know, you, and you start adding up the fact that, you know, Zdeno Chara has so many miles on him. And, and that first line gets played so much and, and they, you know, they like to crash and bang and, um, so I feel like Boston's coming in a little vulnerable uh, when you go through all the different facets of their team. Um, but at the same time, I mean, Jake DeBrusque was a revelation in the first round. Obviously, he had a pretty good rookie season, but I don't know even if the most diehard Bruins fans knew that he had five um, playoff goals in his back pocket for a seven-game series. I thought um, he was phenomenal. Obviously, he scores a series-ending uh, goal, uh, turning... 
Jake Gardner around and then taking a hit while he he shovels it past Anderson. And we can talk all day long about whose fault that was because it's definitely uh, <laughs> partly on on the Leafs there. But at the same time, like DeBrusque is sort of a, a menace and and he's just you know he's a kind of a, like he's a throwback player, but also he's very modern where he's. He's a big dude that that can handle the puck in, in close quarters. Uh, has a great shot. So um, I that's sing- the thing, John. It's going to come down to depth, isn't it? Like, don't you think that like Boston and Tampa, their top lines fairly match up well against each other, and it's going to come down to like the guys like DeBrusque and Rick Nash, and for Tampa, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank now in terms of his name, but uh, um, I don't know if it's, if it's J.T. Miller or. Um, Palat? Uh, no, I'm trying to think who's their second line center. Oh, Braden uh, Point. Kid. Braden Point. Yeah, Braden Point. So it's going to come down to guys like that, like Braden Point. Uh, I think are going to sort of sway the the scales or tip the scales uh, in that regard. And like without Jake DeBrus scoring those goals, um, Boston probably does get past Toronto. And I think it's going to be true of really every team. Like you, you do have to rely on your depth. So you can't just uh, rely on. Pasternak and Bergeron to do most of the damage. Yeah, and I, I do. I, I do like li- the Lightning's depth uh, better. Uh, you look at Boston, and you know Rick Nash, David Backus in their primes were, were players that you want on your team that you you think are you know prime pieces. But right now they're more spare parts. I mean, you watch David Backus play, and he's he's just he's so slow, and he's just the only goals he's, he's going to get are right in front of the net, you're sort of you know tapping in rebounds and. I just don't feel like he's very effective in 2018. And then Rick Nash is the guy. The guy just can't score goals. He, he fires a million shots on net, and they just don't go in. I don't know if that's going to turn around. Um, but there, there's something there about about Rick Nash where he's lost his scoring touch. Um, I think he's still, you know, a, a decent player. But um, when you look at the Lightning's lineup, um, you know, Yanni Gord's on their third line. Um, Chris Kunitz is on their fourth line, according to DailyFaceOff.com. We'll see what they end up rolling out for Game One, but um, Stamkos, J.T. Miller, and Kucherov as your top line. I mean, as much as I'm, you know, all I'm all for praising Bergeron, Pasternak, and uh, and Marchand when that line um, doesn't get the bounces or or you know takes a, an extra second to take a shot and it gets blocked or whatever. As dominant as they, as they can be, shift by shift, sometimes the goals just don't come. And I feel like, uh, you know, when, when you sort of go through a full 60 minutes, the depth comes through, and that's where Boston's going to get in trouble. Um, th- this is this is a really good matchup, though. Um, like I said, th- both both teams are pretty good on special teams. Um, they're both well coached by by youngish coaches, so that's kind of interesting to see that dynamic. I think Bruce Cassidy's had a really good year, and. And through my interactions, uh, you know, the the Toronto Boston series seems like a very smart guy. John Cooper's always, um, you know, praised for for what he's done in um, in Tampa. So, yeah, th- this this series and um, and the Nashville Jets series, th- those two are are, are must see in, in my opinion. Yeah, they're they're all must see, John. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is where we get the real playoffs starting. Do you have a sense? Like, I'm trying to think of what your 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 uh, your Stanley Cup pick was. Um, what was it to to start the playoffs? I think I had Tampa over Nashville. Did, do you uh, change that now or? No, you know what? Like all the top seeds won in the first round, so I'm going to stick the top seeds advancing in the second round. So I think I'm going Tampa. I'm going to stick. I'm going to say Washington just to be 
uh, to stay consistent. And I'm going to say Nashville and uh, I guess Vegas, right? So my final four looks like uh, Vegas against uh, Nashville, which is <laughs> please put me on that. Series yeah, that, that's that's a either a disaster <laughs> or a really Tampa. good time. Yeah, and then Washington Tampa. So um, yeah, who knows? But uh, I think we're going to see some good hockey. That's for sure. Okay, well, I'll leave you with one last question, and I'm putting you on the spot here, and I realize it was uh, just one round, but who would your, your consmite pick or favorite be, or, or maybe just a guy to watch in the second round that you think has the potential? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, you know, Sid was – he was Sid. Like, he, he was playoff-style uh, Sid. But uh, you know what? The guy to watch, I'm going to stick with uh, Jake Gensel. He was so good in last year's playoffs and didn't make a whole lot of noise in the regular season, but – if he can continue what he was doing in round one uh, throughout the playoffs, then this guy's going to finish with a ton of goals. And, you know, everyone pays attention to number 87 when he's on the ice. So it does free up uh, Gensel for a lot of opportunities. So I'll, I'll stay with that. And he was Pasternak. I mean, he gave himself a nice lead. I think he has 13 points already. So <laughs> if, if the Ridiculous. Bruins keep winning and he keeps putting uh, pucks in the net or assisting on them, I mean – He's going to be right there, and I think I think I picked the Bruins to face the Predators in the final. I still feel pretty confident about that. I mean, Nashville and Winnipeg, I think is is, is a harder one to pick than than Boston and Tampa, which I think I I lean towards Boston, even though as I mentioned, there's concerns about you know uh, what type of shape they're in compared to Tampa. But that the Boston's a freight train, like that that five man unit of of. Of the top forward line, McAvoy and Chara, like if they continue down the road that they're going down, it's I don't think anyone can really stop them. Maybe, maybe when when the final hits and and there's just no gas left, but uh, night to night, they you saw it versus Toronto where it's just you're hoping you're hanging on for dear life that they don't score three or four goals because they're probably going to stop your best players in the, in the process of scoring a, a couple goals anyways. They're just so well rounded and so you got what Boston against. Uh... Pittsburgh in the next round? Yes. And then who do you got in the West? I know uh, you said it's hard to pick over Nashville and Winnipeg, but... Uh, yeah, Nashville, and uh, I think... I don't know. Vegas and, and San Jose is hard. <laughs> I'm just going to go with Vegas just because like, I'm, I'm waiting for them to to sort of prove me wrong, and until then, I'm just going to keep picking them. <laughs> I picked them last yeah. round, and I thought, oh, this is, this is, this is a tough one. I mean... Uh, the the Kings and and their prowess as as you know that core being around for so long. Uh, I thought that was kind of a risky pick, but then they end up getting swept by Vegas. So who knows? I, I'm going with Vegas in that case. Yeah, don't bet against the house, right? Exactly. <laughs> One thing I've learned about being in Vegas. All right, Mike. Uh, ha- first of all, happy birthday again, and uh, all the best on your recovery. Uh, what, what's the what's the latest? Are are you almost back to to full health? Yeah, I'm getting there, John. I'm getting there. You know what? Uh, it, it's quite a, it's a tough go sitting on the couch and watching playoff hockey, but I think I'll survive. <laughs> you lead a very tough life. All right, Mike, uh, thanks again. All right, thank you, John.